Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So stay out. You understand? Stay out. Welcome to the Psychovertical Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Kirkpatrick. Uh, it's a, it's a, what time is it? It's a nine o'clock. Vanessa's in the other room watching a, some kind of terrible rom-com. Uh, <laughs> so I thought I'd do this podcast. Uh, we've had no internet for a few days for some reason. Uh, all the internet was out everywhere here. So, um, as, uh, so I, I apologise for the lateness of this this podcast uh as as usual i've got nothing prepared uh but someone did send me uh someone asked me about um food had a food question so i thought i'd maybe do this podcast on the subject of food like mountaineering climbing sort of related food so i actually one of the very one of the first things i ever wrote for a magazine which was for Climber magazine, which I actually found out still exists, amazingly, uh, was called M&M's Pig Fat and Baby Food, which is uh, it's up on my, on, my, on my website somewhere in the articles, I think. And uh, um, it was quite, I think it was quite a good, it was quite a good article, really. Uh, like a lot of the, there was, a, was an issue of climbing magazine, climber, climbing, climb, climber, climbing, Climbing, is it climbing in America? Climbing magazine, uh, and it was a really amazing, one of the probably the best issue of any magazine I ever, I ever bought. Really, uh, I don't know what number it was. It had a white cover and had a picture of Greg Child on the front cover, and there was in it there was a story about Greg Child putting up the uh, his route on Mount on Mount Hunter in Alaska. Was it called the? Uh, Greg Child, he always had like really sort of dark, dark sort of names for everything. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember what he's got. He was very like a Mark Twight, you know, Mark Twight must have been based himself on uh, on Greg Child. What's it called or something? Because uh, he, like, he wanted to call, he had this new route he wanted to do on El, El Capitan. And uh, Greg Child and uh, Bill Denz were trying to put up this new route. And eventually they never finished it. And then um, someone else, and we're going to call it like the heart of darkness because it went right through this, like the diorite on El Capitan, which, which is black rock, uh, which would have been kind of cool. But then, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Rob Hall, he did he he did the, finished the line, he did the line and he called it Wyoming Sheep Ranch. And I think Rob Hall, like on every B-layer, he left uh, like a sex aid on every hanging on every belay, so they'd be like a dildo or whatever, like on every single belay. So he really, he was kind of the anti, the anti kind of Greg Child kind of intense, you know, kind of kind of thing. So, but uh, Greg's Greg's Australian, so it's kind of weird. It's weird that Greg would would uh, would would be like that because I think Australians are very. They're like people from Yorkshire, basically. They, you know, they don't like any of that kind of pretentious, pretentious kind of stuff. So, <laughs> what's that? Anyway, well, this is amazing, amazing, uh, this amazing edition of this magazine. It just had like so many really cool uh, articles in it that, at that time. Like magazines seem to be a lot, like a lot, a lot better in the past. I don't know why they always seem a bit shit now. I don't know. I don't know why they're so shit. But they, they, they are. I don't know why. I don't know what's got, what's, maybe it's just an age thing. But, you know, if you get like, get an, you know, get some old copies of some of those old magazines. And I don't know, they seem to be, they seem to be written by like adults, if that makes any sense. Like they seem to be, I don't know. If it, I think it almost you get this thing where like editors are just bored of climbing. 
and they're a board of climbing magazines and they're always trying to, you know, think up some new, you know, just 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 stuff about climbing. It's not it's just boring, no one's interested. So they you know, they're always trying to find some, you know, someone who was you know, they're tying the story about doing a you know, a five eight without without being raped or something, or they're always trying to, you know, some transgender you know, transgender people being oppressed by the climate community and all that kind of stuff. They're, they never seem to just be interested in just writing something like, look, love, you know, I don't I don't care if you're transgender. Just write something about climbing that, that, that you know, that's interesting. We're not interested in all the other stuff. You know, that's we, we try to go climb to get away from all this crap. So just, you know, we're not interested. Um, <laughs> that's probably why I'm not an editor of a climate magazine with that kind of attitude. But... Uh, Anyway, so I'm not so so I I got some you know early on, uh, I think it was like the first what was the first thing I ever wrote? So the first thing I probably wrote, I wrote something about ice hooks. I remember writing that because I remember writing it and on someone's computer. I didn't really, didn't really understand how computers worked, and I think I highlighted it and deleted it all. So I had to, and I had to write it again and things like I would like print it out. And then just take the print out with me, and then I'd like type it all out again from the print out. And you know, I did those classic things of having everything would be like Comic Sans or some shit font, which I couldn't read it when I had to type it out again, and basically that kind of thing. So, 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 but this was definitely one very early thing I wrote, and I think on the because of a few a few of these things I wrote, I ended up getting a you know getting like regular work on climb climb a magazine and then eventually i got like a gig being like the gear the gear editor i was kind of poached by high magazine which was another magazine which i I used to think was a bit shit really at the time but looking looking back at at it i think it just wasn't that wasn't that well just the layout it wasn't as very snazzy because like on the edge was another good magazine but and that looked really snazzy i had like good graphics and all that kind of stuff uh and it had some really good, it had some really amazing um, s- stuff in there, really amazing writing in there. And so I ended up being like the gear editor for High Magazine. And that was, that, that was kind of cool. But with all these things, eventually you just kind of run out of, run out of steam and out of energy. And I think High Magazine, Amalgamated was on the Edge magazine. And then that both those turned into Climb Magazine, not Climber or Climbing. Um, and then uh, you know, by by, by the uh, like with all these things, you have like a bit of a. I don't know how people like write for newspapers for years and years and years. I have a have a column or whatever. It's pretty it's pretty desperate. But anyway, so this was a, this was a very early early piece of writing I did, and it was it was basically completely copied from this piece in in climb climbing magazine. Which was someone just talking. I'll, I'll dig it out and I'll read it sometime. But it was it was just someone talking, writing about equipment in a very interesting way that I'd never re- I'd never read anything like that before. It was written in a way which was it was just really well written about. I remember once I think it was Monty Don or one of those like gardening people. He wrote something about a spades, like a good spade. And it was really amazingly written. Like, I have no interest in spades. But it was written in a way that was like, oh, my God, I need to buy one of these spades. It just made it sound... It really brought a spade to life, a spade to life. And I was like, God... I remember thinking, like, God, that's that's like real talent to make... to bring a, to bring a spade to life like that. It really... It wasn't about spades. It was about something else. And, and that really stuck in my mind. And I remember years, a long time later, I was at some literature thing, and I said I was like a shit writer... And then Stephen Venables was like, if you can write, you know, I disagree. Like, if you can write stuff about socks, it's interesting, then you must be a good writer. So that was, thank you, Stephen. That was very nice of you to say that. So, uh, but but I remember that, but this this article I read where he basically, he was writing about, you know, ideas about equipment for alpine climbing and then interspersed throughout it was these little tiny... Um, little tiny stories you know like one paragraph stories and it just elevated the whole thing and i never i don't know everything else by him this guy but um it was very it was very good and i i ended up like basically copying that on a first on quite a few early things i wrote i wrote something about 
Wiregate Carabiners, which was the same. And um, so yeah, so it's kind of it's kind of in- interesting. So this, so oh, maybe this is going to be really boring. This thing. So this, I'll just read a little bit. So this was called uh, M and M's Pig Fat and Baby Food, which was some time in the mid mid nineties, I guess. Um, before I start, let let me define what I mean by alpine food. Basically, I see it as any food that's lightweight and easily prepared with a minimum of fuel, fuss, and effort in sometimes very difficult circumstances. This article is applicable to any alpine climbing, from Fitzroy to Hunter, the Troll Wall to Trangor, aimed at climbers genuinely interested in a lightweight approach alpinism. I admit it is partially based biased towards my own experiences and tastes, but it does include a few new, interesting and obscure ideas on modern alpine food. Pre-climb, pre-climb food. Eat a lot and eat well before you climb. The old favourites of cheese and pasta is still the best, providing plenty of carbohydrate and fat. On easily approachable routes, take lots of nice foods to eat before you start. Things like pasta, tasty cheese and fresh bread, plus plenty of cakes, buns and chocolates for pudding. Maybe maybe buy some fresh pastries to have as breakfast before you start. Enjoy the time before the climb. Good food helps you relax and sleep. Take bottles of water to cook and brew up with and make sure you're completely hydrated before you start. Better to lay off red wine. A good approach of a major pre-climbing diet is your typical Patagonian diet. Noel Crane and Simon Nadine spent one and a half months waiting for a decent weather window while trying to trying a new route on Piney, most of which was spent cooking with the occasional day climbing to break up the washing up rota. Their staples were garlic, dal, pancakes, chapatis, and the great foundation of British mountaineering, porridge. On such trips, little bags of carefully weighted calorie-counted food goes out of the window if morale and sanity is going to survive the trip. Enjoyable food is essential. Better to start a route a little fat and happy than lean and mean, because after four days, you'll be very lean anywhere, except maybe not quite so keen. Don't do it, though. It's important to, f- to be and feel as fit as you can be. Next section, morning food. As a climber, Mick Fowler, for a climber like Mick Fowler, breakfast is usually a single affair, a cup of tea and a toffee crisp being found to suffice for a day's climbing. Or if you if you like your creator comforts, try Mark Twight's power bar washed down with milky contents of last night's hot water bottle. Mmm, nice. But if you're trying to move fast and you're, you've bivvied in a difficult or uncomfortable position, then this meal is crucial. Get it wrong and you'll lose time and energy. Get it right and you'll start the day as you mean to go on. The best way to save time and fuel is to forgo a hot drink. Cold fruit tea or better still, a carbohydrate drink is the way to go. Down one or two cups and you're racked up and packed up for a dawn for dawn, and you're aware. Saving time and fuel uh, inconveniences. This also lets you do all your snow melting the night before. Avoiding the chilling task of snow melting in the morning also means you avoid difficult tasks in the coldest time of the day. By filling up your Nalgene bottle with warm water, if you want to warm your feet, after your evening meal, you only have to do the difficult task of cooking once a day, making cooking simpler and more efficient. On alpine routes, fluid is king. Even on hard multi-day routes, your body can keep on climbing on a couple of tracker bars a day if it has to, but dehydrate and you're dead. If you're running short of fuel, drink cold, barely melted water with carbohydrate drink instead of solid food. Melting snow inside your sleeping bag or clothing with your Nalgene bottle also saves vital fuel. Solid food is is usually best found in easily consumable muesli bar form, be it tracker, harvest crunch or flapjack. Two bars are usually equivalent to a typical serving of porridge or muesli. Again, fuel is saved and the bars can be eaten along with pre-melted water inside sleeping bags or during packing. I also add a packet of peanut M&Ms to this meal, stashed away to eat on the first belay. 
If you want a more traditional start to the day, individual packets of Alpen, etc., are perfect for alpine climbing. Just add water, or if you're really indulgent, add a little powdered milk. Shame on you. Personally, I try to avoid normal tea and coffee because it's a diuretic, preferring fruit teas, of which there are hundreds of varieties. If you can't go without your Earl Grey or Nescafe, never mind. As with all things in life, it's good to break a few rules. So the first meal is out of the way and you're off. The sun comes up, you finish the first pitch. Only 37 left to go. Next section, deer food. This is entirely up to personal preference. Some people like dry bananas, nuts and sunflower seeds, while others prefer chocolate, salami and jelly babies. Try not to get too bogged down in calorific nonsense. Just take what you like to nibble on and make sure you do. If you ha- if it has a high calorie content, then it's a bonus. A mix of savoury and sweet usually works very well. Boiled sweets were the old favourite, revitalising dried mouths, especially when mixed with a little snow. As an alternative, why not go down to your local supermarkets, pick and mix? Because as they say, variety is certainly a spice of life. No doubt, once on a route, you'll wish you'd brought more licorice torpedoes and a few uh, chocolate eclairs. But never mind, it's great fun digging around in your sack for hours on end in a futile attempt to find that last cola cube. Try to avoid any powder-type bars that require lots of water to digest. Enough said. Evening food. Modern alpine food can be easily split into two categories, the high-tech and the low-tech. The introduction of power gel from America is set to revolutionise alpine food, being lightweight, instant carbohydrate energy, 300 plus calories per serving, that's squeezed into your mouth from a foil packet or tube, which unlike power bars, requires very little water to digest. It's light, it doesn't need cooking, and it's available in various strange and tasty flavours, including vodka, powdered Powdered baby food is another high-tech option used by fanatical by a fanatical few, providing easily prepared, highly nutritious, easily digested food, although price and taste make it quite hard to swallow. Speaking of vodka, a great example of low-tech alpine food is the Russian alpine diet of pig fat or sala, dry biscuits and vodka. Makes your mouth water, doesn't it? Also mad on con- they're also mad on condensed milk, using it as a drink or a meal in itself, plus it can be turned into a solid block of caramel by boiling it in a can. Low-tech alpine food can be cobbled together using just about anything. Adam Wainwright and Paul Pritchard served up Christmas stuffing on Nameless Tower, while Stevie Haston soloed a new route on the Nom Blanc face of the vert, carrying on in apple and banana. A typical meal, for me, goes like this. First of all, have a litre of cold energy drink, usually a mixture of High Five or Isostar. Drinking cold water saves a lot of fuel and gets liquids to the body quickly. This is followed by a hot cup of soup. No direct cooking is done in the pan as all the food is mixed or stewed in a large insulated plastic mug, the type found in the increasingly, increasingly in a number of climbing shops, an invaluable piece of alpine equipment. As more snow is melted and boiled, I usually try and relax and drink my soup, adding croutons or stuffing mixture to add a bit more bulk. Take lots of different cup of soups because you can soon tire of one taste. The main course is usually one and a half packets of super noodles. These are crushed into the mug and boiling water added. Stir, replace the lid and within two minutes you've got a litre of noodles. Filling, filling nutritious and extremely lightweight Another alternative is potato powder. This is followed by more fluid in the form of a a square of fruity jelly mixture or carbohydrate drink. There may be some custard, semolina or hot chocolate. Salt is, is is a vital part of a meal, reducing cramp and muscle spasms while bivvying or climbing. And I usually take a few individual packets of bran biscuits and cheese, a nice accompaniment to a meal. To anyone reading this, not already established on some alpine route, this may seem like a very Spartan diet. Actually, for me, it sounds like quite a lot. but it And it is, but it's incredibly lightweight and easy to cook, using only 100 epigas cartridge or less per day between two. If you plan on taking a long time on a route, four plus days, or you feel uneasy taking a, 
such a small amount of food, you can flesh this out with various items mentioned earlier, or just say to hell with it and take some heavy luxuries. Even hard men like Brendan Murphy and Dave Wills couldn't rush themselves less to one packet of chocolate hobnobs a day while attempting Le Toc. If you're prepared to work a little harder, then take it. This approach of food seemingly ignores the calorific content of the diet. This is only half true. I do try to keep the carbohydrate level high with fat close behind, although the higher the climb, the harder the body will find it to break down fat. Sugars are high in calories, but technically make poor man food. Chocolates and sweets are only, they're only there to improve morale. Last section, uh, night food. There may come a time when you're forced to keep on climbing through the night, either due to approaching weather, lack of any bivy sites, or just lack of bivy gear. Adrenaline will suppress the appetite, and although food will be the last thing on your mind, you should try and eat through the night. Tomorrow's breakfast, the tracker bars and M&Ms and those cheese and biscuits you have stashed for dinner suddenly become perfect belay food. If you're out of water, I'd probably lay off the food in order to avoid using up vital fluid, digesting it. Some climbers carry Pro Plus as mild, stimula- as mild stimulant in order to stay awake, a real problem while belaying, while some American climbers carry chocolate-covered coffee beans, which they chew. Both systems are only worth considering in real emergencies, as caffeine may cause more problems than it solves. So that's the uh, that's the end of that. So there's a, there's a, interspersed there's some some like stories about about climbing and stuff. But um, yeah, it's funny because that was ri- that was written a long time ago. So that was written before I think Mark Twight's Total Alpinism book came out, and um, so there wasn't there wasn't like there wasn't a huge amount of information around then. And I think and I guess this was written based on I think going to Patagonia. I've been to Patagonia and I've been to like climbing the Alps and things. So I guess I wonder, yeah, it's interesting how it's sort of changed. I think you can, I think you, probably one thing is it, it, it like climbing food really varies depending on what you're, what you're doing. There isn't really like a, a one size fits all. Like on some, you know, some climbs you might, you might almost, you might take very little food. Like I remember climbing with um, uh, Matt Dickinson and we tried to do like a one day ascent of, of um, a tangerine trip on El Capitan and it ended up taking us three days. And Matt brought the food and all he brought was like a glass jar of salsa and uh, and some chocolate. And he like basically ate all the chocolate and I think he had like one swig of this glass this glass jar of salsa and that was all we had for like three days. It ended up being like a three day, one day ascent and... Uh, yeah, it's amazing. It's, I think there was something about Napoleon, and Napoleon said that one of his chief, you know, he liked generals who were lucky, but he also liked soldiers who their ability to fight was was less important than their their ability to have some kind of fortitude and to keep keep going in adverse conditions, and that that does seem to be an important thing in in alpine climbing is people who can just keep you know keep they keep having like second wins third wins fourth wins and they can you know keep on going and i remember the 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 second the second alpine route i ever did we did like a winter ascent of the northeast spur of the dwats and on our first bivy we the stove wasn't working we had this like this this stove uh, and it wasn't it wasn't working and, and instead of going down we decided well, maybe we could get to the top in in one day to finish the route and I think we had maybe we had like two more bivvies in the end so we ended up like being three days on this route well four days in total uh, with almost like zero food to eat and zero very very little water like just almost no water and it was you know it was like pretty pretty hellish but it's amazing how you can you can you can kind of keep on keep on going upwards, but it's probably not it's probably not right like it, when it's super cold, you don't want to be super dehydrated because it affects your your ability to stay warm and your you know you you'll get frostbite and stuff. It's not it's not ideal. So you always want to have a you always you always want to have the ability to to melt water and you need to have a really good you know 
cooking system, like never, never go anywhere without the ability to, you know, to, to, to create heat and to not, not just, not just to, um, melt snow, which is like vitally important. Um, but it's also often in some places, it's the ability to, to just boil water. So like if you, uh, been to quite a few places where, you know, the, the water sources were, were like, obviously like super, super contaminated and, you know, if you, I think that, that is probably the problem with a lot of people when they're climbing in the Himalayas and things is they just, they just get like a bug through the water. Like Colin Haley always seems to be going to on these expeditions and he always gets ill with some kind of bubonic diarrhea or something. And it always like wrecks his trip. And so, yeah, so if you, if you're able to, when other people are cooking for you, that's like a, that's like a separate problem. Um, you know, there's all these classic things. Like if you ever eat out, you know, you need to avoid like salads or anything that's washed in water. Like, you know, like chips, I reckon are quite good, you know, chips or like, you know, if you're in, you know, things which are fried seem to seem to be okay. You just lay off the salad and lay off any, you know, you know, make sure you just drink Coke or something. Just, just, you know, if it's not boiled, be, you know, be really careful. I think when we were, when we we're in Africa, we, uh, you were there for a long, a long time. And I think it only got, I only got like ill once. And I think that was probably caused by like Mount Kenya is just like absolutely like, uh, you know, it's like really, really contaminated. Like everything is really contaminated. Like you're, you're drawing water from like in some place from like a, a really small body of water and all around it, there's like stones with shit underneath it where people have had a shit. So you you're kind of, it's really it's like a worst case scenario, and and I think in those kind of situations, I think the water is so contaminated that it's almost impossible not to cross contaminate. Like you, you'll dip a pan into the water, and you know the contamination gets on your hands, and even if the water's boiled, it's like really really hard not to not to get ill. So um, it's just good to avoid you know, being, being in places like that. Um, yeah. So, so, so some people will even go to the point of carrying like, like two stoves. Like if it's a real, if you're on a, you know, if it's a real like life or death thing, you might, you might want to carry two stoves and two stoves can allow you to, you know, the classic, the classic, you know, stoves like the jet boil, uh, in the past. So like, you know, if you have two jet boils and two people can, can be in separate places, uh, you can like, you can double the speed at which you can melt water and, you know, for a very, very minimal amount of weight, because, you know, like the pan of a, of, of one of those small stoves can be the cup and, you know, it replaces a lot of other things. So it's, uh, you know, if you, if you, if you're going like super, super, super lightweight, then, you know, it can be like counter counterproductive. So, but I remember when we did, when we, I think the first time, the first, well, I think went to went the, the when I went to the second time went to, was the second time second time went to Patagonia. We that was the first time I ever realised that this kind of lightweight kind of alpine style food thing doesn't work on expedition. And I think we were really skin because it used to be really expensive to go to Argentina because the the peso was the same as a dollar. And then the last time I went, it was like five pesos to the dollar or something. But I remember that the all we could eat was we had, we bought like loads of polenta, which is like disgusting stuff. And we didn't realize you're supposed to mix it with milk and cheese and it makes it a bit better, but it was just like inedible. And we had these really awful tins of some kind of fish, which was just more, mainly bones. And it was just like, it was absolutely disgusting. And it was, it just really didn't provide a lot of energy. So that trip was really undermined by just being fucked the whole time, you know, carrying, a lot of weight around, you know, in Patagonia, it's, it's a lot of like carrying a lot of, it was like the winter times. So we're trying to climb territory in winter. So we had like really heavy packs and you just, it just grinds you down. Like when you, if you're not, if, if you've got, if you're a deficit of calories in your system and you're not committed already onto something, then it really saps your, your psych and your, your motivation really. You're just thinking about going down and, and having some food or whatever. I remember on that trip, we we came down, I think we'd been around the back of Fitzroy 
and we came we came back down after like a week being up there in this in a snow hole and when we got back in this hostel there was like nobody nobody used to, used to go there in the winter time but amazingly there was like this this italian couple who'd like just rocked up and i think as in the patagonian the patagonian winter is our summertime so i think maybe people got used to get confused and they were like oh do you want some food and they were also really really skin because because of the exchange rate and they just made us some some spaghetti and it was just spaghetti and it had some olive oil on it and some pepper and some chili and i think that was all it was it was like some chili powder or something and i remember just thinking it was like the most amazing food I'd ever eaten in my life who <laughs> just like cheap spaghetti out of a packet where it just tasted amazing and like ever since then I've always appreciated sometimes like if weight isn't a huge issue you know like last uh, when we were on a uh, on Denali we spent like we uh we ate quite a lot of just pasta with just spaghetti just with butter just mixed together and you know, it tasted, it tasted amazing. Like it's not, you know, it's not like it doesn't cook instantaneously, but it doesn't, it doesn't take that long to, to cook. And if you've got plenty of fuel, it doesn't really matter. And I know like, um, you know, quite a few high altitude climbers, they like Italians, like Simon Morrow and people, Simone Morrow, they, they just eat like the food that we eat at home. So we'd have like pasta and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's probably, it's, you know, it's probably good for your, it's probably good for your soul, like a bowl of pasta with a tiny bit of parmesan cheese on, you know, might use a little bit more fuel. It's not that much heavier than than some sort of crappy, you know, high altitude food or some, you know, dehydrated food. But it would make you feel so much happier and, uh, you know, more more motivated, you know, potentially. Uh, and also, I also like drink, drink a lot. I do drink a lot of tea when I'm climbing. And I think I'm always like, I think most people are the same, like when they're climbing in like higher altitudes, you just got to just keep drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking. Like you almost, if you've got the fuel like you always want to be drinking the whole time, you know, the more you piss, the more you drink, the more you piss, like it's, you know, so it's good. It's, it's you know, it's part of becoming acclimatized. Like you should never really, you never really want to be feeling like really dehydrated. Like it's just a, you know, it's like a invitation to get some sort of altitude, altitude sickness. Um, I remember Doug, I remember Doug Scott. He once told me he had, uh, he would, um, what do we do? He would, they would often like stop in the middle of the afternoon, like late afternoon, and they would like brew up because it meant that they could like carry on later on into the night. And I think that's, I've always, I've often thought about that, like just. You know, if you know, if you know it's going to, if you're going to be climbing, you know, to late, then it's a good, uh, you know, it's a good, it's a good technique. Actually, my, my powers, my power leads falling out one second. I'm back. So, so the first, I think that first trip to, the first trip to Patagonia that really, yeah, so that really um, taught me the lesson, no, second trip to Patagonia, that taught me that lesson about, uh, you know, you have, you have to you have to have food that's going to sustain you. So you need, you know, food that's okay for like two or three days on an alpine route is not going to work for like two or three weeks in the, in the mountains. And you're, you're kind of like writing checks that your body's going to have to cash. So, you you want to you know you want to have some food which is for um like on the mountain you know like your your noodles and whatever but then for low down you want you want to have some like you know you know better food there's still food that's easy to cook and easy to to transport but um you know not you know not not sort of you know starvation starvation diet really because it's just not um good but uh, but I obviously learned that very well because when when we went on to the when we climbed the Lafay route on the Drew, I think we were on that for like fifteen days, and we actually had a really pathetic um, diet. I think we had like a tiny little like hundred grams of Alpen for our breakfast, and I don't think we had anything for the daytime, and then we had a packet of noodles for our tea, 
and and we had some butter and we maybe had some other, some oh we had a pack of peanuts but we really had like a really minimal amount of food and it was okay for like day one day two day three but by day eight and day ten it was we were like really really starving to death and we had this like butter the idea was you put the butter into the into the super noodles and it would you know it would give you some more calories but we were so hungry that as soon as we opened the bag of food each day we would just eat the butter like immediately and we had only we had one packet of peanuts like a really small packet of peanuts like you get in a pub or something and we used to share them out and that, and that was you know that was like hilarious you know just like sharing out these 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 peanuts and they always have the story about like dropping a peanut and you know you're in this portal edge together and it's minus 15 or something everything's covered in ice and in the middle of the portal edge there's a grommet in the floor which is to drain any water out if it was raining or something and there's like peanut like going down and like going around and going down through the hole it was like no like one peanut like meant so much um and then i think later on then I think yes. I think, and I realised that you, this idea again about writing these checks or thinking about your future self. So we started. I always put more planning into into bringing more food, uh, and I think like I think I think the like dehydrated food started to improve a little bit. So so you could. I think the first when was the first the first time we went on a trip where we had a lot of dehydrated food was when I went to the tr- climb the troll wall with Alex Gamma because Alex Gamma was, he was sponsored by some Norwegian dry food company. So we had like tons and tons of, of dried food. You could probably have, have it for our breakfast as well. And um, I come up, it's, the, it's this stuff you get, it's like in an orange packet. And that was, you know, that was really good. And that, and the, the carrying the dry food is, you know, it's probably the way to go for, for anything like serious or you know alpine kind of climbing because it's it's edible and it's lightweight and it's very low stress you know you just open it and you put the you know you put the thing in and and you're aware um if you want to save weight you can you know you can remove the you can remove the food out of the packets and and repackage it into like smaller lighter packaging and just carry one the plastic, you know, plastic heavy duty things you put the water in, um, or you can rehydrate it in something else like a insulated cup or something. If you just got, you just got to get the, your measurements kind of right. And, uh, like if you're going in, in a really cold environment, then you want to take some extra fat really. Cause I think, I don't think you have a lot of fat in them because fat is the thing that always goes rancid. Uh, like when I tried to solo the, the Iger and I had this, some British company, I had this, uh, food and it was actually made but i think it went bust eventually but it was made by some like michelin star chef or something and i had some food and it had it gone off basically it had uh it gone rancid and it was like really disgusting it was like really not very it's probably not good for you either you eat rancid food and you do have to be very careful with dehydrated food like you ideally want the dehydrated food where you can see that it's completely sealed as it's vacuum vacuum packed because then if it's got a hole in it, then the vacuum, you know, it like expands. You can tell it's got a hole in it. Otherwise, you can get you can get really ill uh, if you if there's meat in the meat in the meal, and it's somehow got you know the air has got in there. It'll like turn it rancid and it'll give you make you really ill. And that that happened to uh, I know two people that, that happened to. And it's kind of a you can like end your trip. You know, if you if you if you're arriving in the middle of nowhere and drop you off, drop in a, dropped you off in a plane, and then that, that happens to you, then it's it's not good. Um, when when we were in Alaska, we bought we bought um, basically we, I think it was like 160 160 dollars maybe it was, but it was basically like enough enough dried food for two people for about f- four or five weeks, and maybe maybe we we're there for like six or seven weeks, but we. We we mostly bought all this dehydrated food, and we bought like a mixture of different different styles and different makes and stuff. And it was interesting what food like really like stood out. Um, like a lot of it, some of it is just this very very samey. Like you can't really tell what the difference is. So it's worth bringing along some of the things like some um, 
the uh, like hot sauce is quite good and olive oil and butter and um, some spices. Like if you if you're going to be there a long time, it's worth it's worth kind of doing that. Uh, the one I remember the one that Vanessa really remembered was it was chicken and mash, and basically it was like a sachet of mash, and then this like freeze dried chicken, which is like a whole like you know lump of chicken. Uh, what's it called like a breast of chicken and you just sort of poured the water in and then you poured in the thing and it all cooked and it was uh like that was yeah, that was really good so we were always well i think on denali we were always like really wishing we could find some more food because we was we basically ran out of food in the end anyway but we uh we found out later on where all the food was probably hidden on the at the top camp at seventeen thousand feet but we didn't know at the time, so we missed it. But we found lots of fuel, but no food. No food. Um, so yeah, so so tailoring the food for different things. So that's one. That's one good thing about when you go on like sea kayaking trips, because you can just carry just about everything. You, you know, what the weight isn't so much of a problem really, unless you're having to move your kayak around. So that that's that's one good thing about it. Where like yeah, on other trips, like we said, I went went through a phase of carrying just carrying um dal like rice we used to just carry like a bag of rice a bag of lentils and a bag of flour and with that and some spices and with that we could make um basically if you if you just mix the you can just mix the rice and the flour the the rice you can just mix the rice and the lentils together and then uh, soak it and then boil it all up and that's like a add some stuff to it and that's like a that's like a meal in itself uh and with the with the with the um the thing with the with the the uh, flour you can make uh chapatis uh which are, which are kind of good if you've got some butter like with chapatis some butter on are quite good but that that was so in quite a small package you could you know you could, you could carry like enough food for like two weeks something but we even then we found like we started like really really missing uh pasta having this real edge for pasta and i think if your body's like uh, as an edge of something it means that your food you've got isn't isn't quite right uh you know you, you've got some sort of deficit in there and we end up get, going to this hut and there was some really old food in there and there was some of this like cheese from one of these american mre meals these army meals where she was like i think when i was a kid because my dad was in the air force we'd often you know get get this like compo rations composite rations i guess but like army rations and there were some really disgusting things in there there was like uh bacon burgers which was just like a tin with uh you know like a normal tin and you'd like open it out and there'd just be like this big lump of meat and you'd like chop it all up and you'd fry it, it was like bacon like <laughs> i don't know so i don't know how the hell they made it anyway and then there was like these like sausages and it was like all the sausages in a tin with all the like industrial you know industrial margarine around them and things but there was this like cheese and it was uh some kind of cheese in a squeezable squeezy thing and you'd like squeeze it on these horrible army biscuits which would probably last like a thousand years and we'd um yeah it was the same but it was exactly the same it's like green foil thing and i remember there was some really old pasta as well and we we cooked this pasta up and then squeezed this cheese on top of it and god it was like amazing it was like, absolutely fantastic so so yeah that was that was cool i guess i guess being able to i guess being able to cook yourself like if you can't cook at home then you're not going to be able to cook very well on an expedition and i think being able to like a big thing for me was always not burning you know you got a very limited amount of food you know you shouldn't you don't want to burn it or ruin it that, that's like a that's a shooting offense basically uh so you have to know how to melt snow like melting snow is not as easy as you think like you can easily burn you know burn a pan with snow in it and it's like ruins it and if you've got limited fuel that's like again that's like terrible i think i think colin haley had some story where he had like almost no fuel left and he was like i think when he soloed Matt hunter and he just like jammed his like his pocket rocket no he jammed his like jet boil with with snow the, the top of it and then he just like fired it up and what he didn't realize was in the bottom of it it had some like resi residual like drinking powder and as the snow was melting it created like a void where there was just air and then metal and then this like powder 
then the powder kind of burnt and then and then the snow started melting onto it and then he just created this like sludge basically this burn toxic sludge then he just had to they had to drink it i think he was like sick or something so being yeah being able to not melt not burn your water is a is, is a skill but yeah it was but le- but learning to learning to cook at home is is it's definitely an advantage if you're going to go somewhere else and you have to cook, uh, you know, in a different place and like learning how to use a, like a, like a pressure cooker and, uh, at homes, like a, you know, it sort of pays dividends, like knowing what sort of spices to, to use and just like little things like knowing how to make, make a cheese sauce or whatever, you know, you never, you never really know why sometimes you can, you can get gathered together some, weird ingredients and you can make you know you can make something make something out of nothing really um i've just made i just made lasagna but, but speaking of which i made this lasagna so like it my it's funny my i don't know i've probably said before on this podcast but at the moment we just make one lot of food and it lasts we just make one lot of food and it make and it lasts up to about 10 days so we just you know divide it all up into containers and put it all in the freezer so, and we only we only eat in the afternoon we only eat at like lunchtime we don't, we don't have dinner or anything uh i don't know why that is but that's why that's how we do it and so we just have one like one meal a day basically and uh it's like it's quite good for because because the problem with cooking is you can just end up like takes up takes up a lot of time cooking so you spend like a few hours making something really nice like a massive lasagna or whatever, and then you just cut it all up and put it all in the freezer. And it seems to, seems to work quite well. Uh, I think we've got. I think we started doing that when we were, when we we're in Kuwait because we used to go to the gym and we get back from the gym really late. So you didn't you didn't like in a, a lot of like Arab countries, like it's just the worst place for fast food. I think Kuwait had like the highest one of the highest ob- obesity and um, rates in the world because. Uh, any anything can be delivered to your house like instantly and for and for almost no money, so there was no no point in cooking really. So that was that we, we did that to try and avoid eating lots of takeaways. So that's why. But it's quite a good. It's quite a good. Quite a good. Quite a good system. But if you want to, the trick for making lasagna is you have to uh, once you've once you've made your lasagna. So it's a layer of it's a layer of meat, uh, a layer of like you know mince whatever it is. And and when you cook your mince, this is this is an important thing. Whenever you cook mince, you should always cook it for about an hour. You want to get rid of all the fat out of it and all the or break it all down so it's really really, you know, don't don't you don't just fry it and then put it in. You have to cook it for about an hour. Same with tomatoes. You should always cook tomatoes for a long time. <laughs> so you so you got your tomatoes. You got your you got your. So you want to have like onions in there and some um, what are those things called those green things celery. And you can put some other shit in there if you want it. But yeah, you know, so you make you make your you make your your thing, and you got tomatoes in there. This tomatoy sauce kind of thing, and add some. If you have like a kilo of a kilo of mince, you want to have like a couple of um, tablespoons of, of of flour in there as well. Mix it all together. And it kind of binds it all together. So the so you you do your you get your 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 pan or whatever you're going to put it in like one of those things called lasagna dishes tray things so you have a layer of meat a layer of cheese sauce life's like cheese sauce basically after learning how to make a cheese sauce so a layer of cheese sauce layer of the pasta layer of layer of mince layer of cheese sauce layer of pasta layer of mince layer of cheese sauce and then cheese on the top and the trick is you got to you got to leave it overnight because you want the, the the pasta has to absorb the the cheese sauce and the and the meat, so everything is like soggy before you put it in the oven. So yeah, so so the but lasagna is a good it's a good one, it's a good one to it's very easy to make it. Like a lot of Italian food is like very good to make it. We 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 just eventually got off making living off curry basically. Eventually, you found the way to make the perfect chicken tikka masala, like how you would make it from um, you know like you'd get it from a from a takeaway. And now we've now we've moved. Now that was like the pinnacle of my life's work was to make it exactly like from. Uh, but it's a lot of it's a lot of hassle to make it like that. So anyway, so now we're on the now we're on the lasagna. So uh, <laughs> well, anyway, so um, yeah. So f- is that is that everything on food? Um, 
Anything else I could say about food? Uh, yeah, I think I guess like the dehydrated food, it really like it is. It's not you know, it's not it's it's not good if you like. I really hate having to share it. I really hate having to like having one thing of food and having to share it between two people. That's one thing, and I'm never keen on. Um, but you just have to make sure you've got like a right kind of size. And uh, I think I think as you get higher on a on a route, you tend to eat less. Like you sometimes, like if you got a lot, if you got a lot of food, you might find you're not so in, into it higher up. Uh, and not this thing about not liking fat. I think uh, that's it's probably it's probably true. But I think everyone's everyone's different. Like some people can eat eat and eat and eat at high altitude, and other people, you know, other people can't. Make some makes them feel ill and stuff makes them feel sick so uh yeah so anything i say anything you read you've always got to you've always got to find your own way but um probably i think neil mccaddy once told me that if you want if you don't eat it if you don't like it down on the ground you don't like it you won't like it up there so that's that's kind of uh that's that was probably one of the best bits of advice i've been given so I think uh, I think my uh, my good wife has finished watching her rom com, so I shall uh, I shall uh, I shall finish it here. Uh, if anybody's got any any questions or anything they want to ask about anything else, then uh, drop me a line. I've got a few emails off to cover later on. And uh, goodbye for now. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.